Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. As you all know, I'm a very proud graduate of Washington University in St. Louis, and any chance and every chance I get to highlight what's going on on the campus with professors and studies, um, I'm going to take advantage of it. It's my show. I should take advantage of it. If I went to Harvard, I'd feature Harvard. But no, this is something that caught my attention I was reading an article, I'm not certain exactly where, but with me is uh, Professor uh, Carl Craver and uh, Adam Teich, and I thank both of you from, for, for coming on. Adam, now you are, if I'm not mistaken, uh, make sure I understand, you are an undergraduate at Washington University? That's correct. I'm actually a math major going into my senior year. And Professor Craver, you are a neuroscience uh, author of a book called "Explaining the Brain." So let let me ask. This is let me. Ask, how is it that the two of you got together for this project? Related to rethinking WashU's relationship to enslavement, past, present, and future. Who would like to start? I'll start that one, uh, if okay, you Okay, Professor. Uh, no, is, no problem. Yeah, I, um, uh, this is Carl Craver, and um, uh, um, this started, in a way, as a personal moment of calling, um, a, a recognition that uh, I didn't know much about the state of Missouri or uh, the city of St. Louis or the history of the institution at which I've worked for 20 years. Where were you from uh, originally? I'm from Ohio, um, and I did all of my graduate work in Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, I'm a fellow fellow Buckeye. I'm a fellow Buckeye, Dayton, Ohio, born and reared. Go ahead. Very good. Yeah, so I moved here in uh, about 20 years ago. And spent a lot of time doing work in the philosophy, neuroscience, psychology program at Washington University. This is mostly grounded in philosophy of science and has very little to do with the history of enslavement in St. Louis. But uh, uh, in a personal experience, I, I suddenly realized how deep my ignorance was. And I thought that this was an opportunity for me to, to, to work with students and model my own process of coming to learn uh, the the facts about this history that I had hidden from myself or that had been hidden from me. And and Adam, uh, I think I was, uh, uh, you corrected me, you are a graduate uh, student in math, is that correct? So I'm actually an undergrad student in math. I'm I sorry, had undergrad. previously taken a course with Professor Craver in, in the neuroscience department and I've always taken an interest in history, have taken history courses on and off in my time at WashU. And looking at this, admittedly, a little bit from reverse, um, I had a very strong feeling that someone had to do this work. I can tell you that some of the evidence that we looked at was difficult to find and took a lot of digging and a lot of reliance on other institutions that have been super duper helpful for us but a ton of it was just sitting there readily accessible in archives, waiting for someone to talk about it. 
and has been waiting there for decades and decades and decades. And so for me, having that interest in history, it's obviously super meaningful work, in my opinion. I really just felt a calling in terms of feeling that someone had to do it. Um, and when you feel a calling like that, I just sort of felt the need to step up. I'm happy that Professor Craver's done it. I'm thrilled that I have a team of fellow undergrads who have helped me and helped me grow with this work. Um, but really just the nature of it all, just kind of sitting there waiting to be unearthed was the, what really called me to the work. The The goal, it says here, the goal was a 10-month-long project. I mean, the title speaks for itself, Rethinking Washington U's, Washington University's Relationship to Enslavement, Past, Present, and Future. Um you you said the the material was just sitting there waiting for someone in the archives. Are we talking about the library? Uh, how deep did you have to go? Where did you have to go? And uh, what did the what did the documents look like? Were they diaries? Uh, exactly what did you uncover? The, the so project you... began. Adam, do you, do you mind if I, I start and then I'll turn it over to you? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the, the project really began uh, with census records and records of uh, official court-ordered slave sales uh, compiled by the National Park Service. And the original thought was to create a database uh, that would contain the, a record indicating the existence of every person enslaved in the history of St. Louis. Um, and that's where we began. Uh, but those records by themselves are incredibly sparse uh, and very thin. And I recognize that uh, in, in simply duplicating those records, we weren't learning much about Wash U. We weren't learning much about the enslaved people themselves. We weren't le learning much about the political forces that shaped that. So then I teamed up with Ivor Bernstein, who's a professor in the history department here at Washington University and a, a really gifted scholar of mid 19th century American history. And we, we uh, collected a group of undergraduates, including Adam, uh, uh, but also including uh, some others, Nikemjika Amanike, Cecilia Wright, Aidan Smith, and uh, Dietrich Henderson to begin this individual research program project that involved diving into the archives at Washington University with the help of uh, Sonia Rooney. Adam, do you want to say something about what was in the archives and what you were looking at? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Adam. So yeah. so my research, there were, there were two pillars of my research. And the first was the archives. And those were things like looking at diaries. One of the sources that we took a lot from was William Greenleaf Elliott, who was Washington University's founder and first president for almost three decades, uh, has a very long, intense, in-depth, detailed diary in which he goes through everything from his day-to-day -day agenda to thoughts about the Civil War um, to records of his sermons, which was super duper helpful for us. One of our goals in the article was to kind of flesh out his beliefs and we felt that without access to the primary source of a direct record of how he was thinking at the time, that would have been impossible to do. 
But the other pillar of, of my research was the federal slave census. And this is different from the information that Carl and I worked to digitize because that was a record of slave sales at the St. Louis County Courthouse. Okay. Um, in contrast to that, the federal census data is available online. If you have an Ancestry.com account, you can search it for yeah. free. Mm-hmm. And when I was speaking about information that was readily accessible, it took me an hour to throw in the names of all of WashU's founders into a search of that federal slave census record. Wow. And it turned up that seven out of 17 of our founders enslaved people. Now, let me, let, me stop right you, let, me, let me stop you there for a moment, Adam. I, I, there is the impression that William Greenleaf Elliott Jr. was a abolitionist. You found out differently? Yeah, that notion, I would say, is almost categorically false. Um, the story of Elliot, um, as far as the university puts out, focuses a lot on his charitable work and characterizes him as an abolitionist. Um, but his diaries and his actions pretty directly contradict that. Um, he was a self-proclaimed colonizationist, which was an ideology that aimed to remove all black citizens from the United States to Liberia. It subscribed to a ton of white supremacist ideals as to who should vote and populate and survive in the United States. Um, he even outright mocked abolition in, abolition in his writing. Uh, I believe at one point he equated an immediate abolition of all slaves to burning down the country. Um, so Elliot pretty explicitly himself was not an abolitionist. And I really think that that's an important notion to address in WashU's messaging about itself and the way that we continue as a university and as a community to process the information, I think has pretty stark implications for the mm-hmm. character of our community. And then Professor uh, uh, Craver, then let me ask you, how did the the issue of, of his position on slavery, which is contradictory or counter to what has, uh, we think of today, how did it manifest itself on campus or in relationship with Washington University? The reason I bring it up, I think about Georgetown and how a similar project was done at Georgetown, and they found out they not only owned slaves, but they had to sell them down to, into the Deep South uh, to raise money to uh, keep uh, Georgetown afloat. So how did the relationship of enslaved people uh, work on, on, on Washington U's campus? There would not be a Washington University had there not been enslavement. The money that funded this university came from people who were some of the largest slave owners in the state of Missouri, John O'Fallon's name comes to mind, and Adam has done a great job uh, uh, revealing these names. Wayman Crow, for example, uh, was a slave owner who was an an important contributor to to the university. Uh, O'Fallon Polytechnic Institute became folded into Washington University in its earliest days. Uh, 
Um, and part of the amazing work that these students are doing is to trace out where that money came from, where the land came from. We're working on who's, who built the buildings, uh, who attended Washington University in the early days. But there could not have been this university had William Greenleaf Elliott chosen to take an abolitionist stance. Um, uh, he would have offended all many of the people who funded the institution. But you had a common, did I hear you correctly, but you had a combination of people who were slaveholders, and in what you're saying, there was a, another group that were either abolitionists or anti-slavery? Um, uh, the people at Washington University are a complicated mix of relationships to the institution of enslavement. And I think Elliot represents one, one angle on that. But he definitely had to make uh, agreements with people. The funding for the university required that he was able to access uh, money from people like John O'Fallon, uh, mm -hmm. John O'Fallon and um, uh, and Wayman Crow, uh, who was an eminent politician in, in Missouri. Adam, do you want to say a bit more about that? Absolutely. First of all, I think, uh, th like, I think an important piece of information to note is that these men still reverberate throughout our campus today. There in are scholarships way? and uh -huh. professorships and buildings mm -hmm. named after these people. Oh, okay. Um, so their impact lies not only in the 1850s, but in the 2020s. Um, <laughs> and the way we kind of looked at Eliot was that reading charitably, you could say that his deals and even friendships with enslavers represents momentary concessions um, of his anti-slavery beliefs. And, and Eliot did on some level oppose the existence of slavery, although he didn't want to dismantle it. Um, but if you want to read into it a little less charitably, you could say that his beliefs were pretty quick to waver. Um, Wayman Crow, who's a name that we've been bringing up every now and then, was one of Eliot's best friends for decades. Um, and while Eliot was in the pulpit, was writing about slavery and, and pondering its existence, one of his best friends owned slaves for the better part of 20 years of their relationship. And it didn't stop Elliot from communing with him, asking him to be the vice president of his university um, and really holding one of the closest relationships he had in his life. I did, did I take it slaves um, worked on, on campus They they functioned on, on campus. That's an area of active investigation, and I, we're not, I don't think, able at this moment to 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 comment on that. Okay. Um, now let me ask you, uh, Doctor Craver. Um, you you said the first place you you started was the census and official slave records. Now Missouri was the compromise state, correct? That's correct. And and for my audience, just to, just again explain to them what that meant as it relates to um, the slavery in the United States. Yeah, it entered it. 
the Union as a slaveholding state. It's built into the Constitution of the state of Missouri that Missouri will be a, a state that permits the ownership of, of slaves. Um, and that was done in order to balance the representation in Congress of slaveholding and non-slaveholding institutions. There's some confusion over this. People often describe Missouri because it was a border state. They think that that somehow makes Missouri not a slaveholding state. But in fact, it's, it's, it's very explicit in the foundation of the state uh, that that slavery was to be uh, uh, extended here and that no imposition on the right of slaveholders would take hold in the state of Missouri. And that's the compromise. Let me ask uh, Adam and, and you also, Professor, um, did the George Floyd death factor in on launching this project? And the only reason I bring it up is because that has come up in several interviews that I've done. Corporations started oh, examining their relationship with race relations, and you know. And and by the way, there's a what is the the book I read? The author, Ebony and Ivy, great book uh, on on and how Brown and Harvard and and many of the Ivy League schools again. Southern plantation owners sent their children uh, to these schools and kept those schools going, and and they took them their slaves with them. Um, I mentioned Georgetown, so there's two questions here, two part. Did George Floyd's death uh, have and, and, and play uh, came in as a factor in launching this project? And then the second question is about reparations, uh, buildings, should they be renamed? Um, Your response, who'd like to go first? So if I can at least take the first part. About George Floyd, yeah. Yeah, the answer is of course. Um, I have long been fascinated with how the university addresses um, occurrences of, of racism and structural racism, especially, um, both outside our campus, but more so on our campus, because it happens at Washington University. Um, I remember my orientation before my freshman year began, there was a university mandated skit that went on about different racial experiences of the student body. And one of the things that I remember striking me as odd was that while the skit addressed racism outside our community, it seemed to magically vanish when all the students got to campus. And I think that's a really dangerous precedent to set in terms of discussing structural racism with regards to the university, both at large, but on our campus especially. Um, because there are incidents of racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia on our campus. And I really don't think you can fix these problems when you don't even acknowledge their existence in the first place. And so that is that was one of the major kind of impetuses of the article for me was I had hoped that by collecting a pretty clear cut set of evidence um, that 
as a campus, we could sit down and have an honest conversation about the things that our founders did in our past, kind of using the buffer of 150 years as a bridge to be a little bit more honest about the university. And that hopefully that translates over to how we address issues of our present and pushes the university into acknowledging more and more their role in upholding and or supporting and or pushing back against racism in our community. Has, has, that, has that dialogue, has that happened? It's certainly on, beginning on campus, to happen. On campus, on campus, has it happened? Sure, it's certainly beginning to happen, but I think we have a long ways to go. Okay. Um, there was there was some controversy in our in our community recently because an Islamic student protested over a 9/11 memorial mm-hmm. and there was a flood in Washu social media comment section of Islamophobia that was yeah. simply not acknowledged by the university and now, it was, what about what it honestly about the... took students to walk other students uh-huh. to campus Wow. And it was up to us to make sure that our community members felt safe. What about the, obviously I would what do about time the time second? Hold, hold on a second. Well, I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt. I'm only because they're telling me I got two minutes left. But what about the second question? Has and that is the issue now that you've opened this this uh, project. There may be. Are you prepared? And is there discussion about? you know, well, maybe we should be changing the names of some of these buildings. Maybe there ought to be discussion about reparations, much like Georgetown uh, that that, that has uh, had to deal with that. The, the university has recently signed on to an organization called University Studying Slavery um, uh, and a committee uh, headed by uh, Jeff Ward at the university called WashU and Slavery is involved in thinking about uh, in collecting collecting our our diverse uh, activities into a single body of work and using that as a way to formulate a policy going forward. Mm. I think our project at the moment, though I, I won't speak for Adam, I'm I am certainly in favor of reparations and thinking about the names on buildings and thinking about in general how this history impacts how we conceive of the university in the present and where we think the university ought to go in the future and how it is integrated into the wider St. Louis area. But I'm hopeful to work with people like WashU and Slavery uh, as a part of WashU and Slavery uh, to conceive how the university should deal with these challenges. But I wouldn't want to speak alone about the form that those reparations ought to take. Sure, sure. Well, at least what I'm hearing, I mean, you know, it might be a front, it might be sincere, you don't know until you know, Um, at least they didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't run from it, they didn't chastise you guys, they didn't try to stop you, that would be accurate. I have I have been supported, especially by people in the Humanities Center and Digital Humanities and uh, at WashU and slavery in these efforts. What the administration does with this is another question, and I have yet to hear from people in the upper administration about this project. Okay. And Adam, uh, again, remind me, uh, what what year are you? I'm a senior. Oh, okay. And do you plan to continue 
uh, this project or working with this project after graduation? Absolutely, in in whatever form that may take. I know that we have we have a couple of, of first years working on it now, and so at the very least, I'm going to be happy to be a resource for them as many years down the road as I can. And if if not, hopefully, remaining involved directly in the work myself. Now, people listening may be saying, "Well, you know, this is about Washington University, St. Louis, Missouri, and we have a lot of listeners, a lot of people." that listen in, in, in all around the state, Illinois, uh, Missouri, uh, you know, the neighboring states, Kansas. Um, if, if people around the country, coast to coast, is there any way they can plug in to getting more information about this? Because, again, you're recruiting students from all over, professors, um, you know, and this is just part of, of our history. Um, how can they learn more about it? So one of the first steps I'd recommend is, like I mentioned earlier, Ancestry.com is readily accessible. And if, if you want to learn more about your institution or your alma mater. No, I mean, I'm sorry. Or, I meant your, no, about more about this uh, project. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't, maybe I didn't make myself clear. You're good. Yeah, more about so the, can, your project. So we can... We can send you a link to the article that you can share with your listeners. There's also, um, uh, and this isn't nationwide, but this is for St. Louis, the database that the students have been working on is an integration that includes the census records that Adam's talking about, or at least many of those census records, in addition to local records from the courthouses, emancipations, um, and freedom bonds in the city of St. Louis. Wow. And I think that one way that people can get involved is just by doing things like searching the names of their, their streets, searching the names of their buildings, searching the names of their parks through databases like this as an effort to educate themselves about the mark that slavery has left on this city. It's still there. It's etched into the road signs. It's etched yeah. into the names of the parks. You know, I'm one of those type of people. Every time I see, how did that name get up there? How did that road sign get up there? Who was, who were these people? You know, the, and and you and both answered the question in a way, uh, uh, Professor and and Adam, um, b- because if they can study what you're doing on your on your uh, on your project, it it certainly could be um, a, a gu- guideline to. Maybe them doing this at their university or or uh, or a college. So that's why I wanted to have you on and and have you talk about how you got it started and how it's progressing. And uh, I guess the I, I had one other question, and that is, how are you funding this? At the moment, uh, we are running on our own budgets um, uh, and have required relatively little infusion of funds. I had a meeting yesterday where we were talking about expanding it in just the way that you're asking about, Joe, to not just focus on St. Louis, but to begin working our way up the Missouri River and down the Mississippi River as a way of accounting for all of the people who've been enslaved in the state of Missouri. And we're starting to build uh, partnerships with people at other universities. And at that point, we're hoping to start asking people to fund uh, a student-driven, multi-generational project 
to collect and distribute information about the extent of enslavement in St. Louis. So we haven't needed much funding at the moment, but when it comes to coordinating a multi-institutional project that the students will all be involved in, where there will be classes embedded around this project, uh, then we're talking about something that will require the infusion of funds. Okay, well, it's rethinking WashU, Washington University in St. Louis, relationship to enslavement, past, present, and future. And let me thank you very much. A really great conversation. Um, and uh, I, I, good luck, Adam. Good luck, Professor Craver. And if I can, um, if I can do uh, anything to expose it and help, it, this is this is very important. I, it really is, particularly where we are now, and with all of this um, critical race theory, which. I never learned at Washington University, <laughs> but, but I don't think most. <laughs> but I don't think most people learned it anywhere, <laughs> you know. Maybe except Harvard. Uh, this Harvard is just what law. we call history. This yeah, history. right. This is just history. <laughs> That's right. It's all our history. Thank you both very much. I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.